Well, I do hope you uh, picked up a, a copy of the uh, sermon notes, and we uh, are going to continue today our series on keys to spiritual uh, growth, and this is Lesson 7 on uh, walking in the Spirit, uh, learning to follow uh, my personal guide. If you were placed in the middle of a deep, dark forest in the mountains of North Georgia, in an area you had never been before, and you were given a choice of three tools. You could either have a compass, a map of the state of Georgia, or a personal guide. Which would you choose? Well, I think the wisest choice, and many of you have already said it, would be a personal guide. And uh, I found this out uh, way back in my Boy Scout days. Um, We would go camping, and we would take these long hikes into the woods uh, in areas that, of course, I had never been before, totally unknown to me. And I'll I'll admit, uh, as a young child at that time, uh, I'd become very uneasy because I had absolutely no idea uh, where we were. But the whole time we were out in the woods, we had a personal guide, our our scoutmaster. And he had been there before, and he was familiar with the area. He knew exactly where we had been, where we were, and where we were going. And because I had a personal guide who did know the lay of the land, I could uh, relax uh, and could enjoy the hike despite the fact it was unknown territory for me. Now, beloved, here's reality. The rest of your life is unknown territory. You have absolutely no clue what is behind the next bend in your life. You have absolutely no certainty what you will encounter later today or tomorrow. Now, in light of that reality, look at the wonderful promise God gave us in Psalm 32.8, that very first verse in your sermon notes. God says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. I would recommend you circle the words guide and advise. God says, I will guide you and I will advise you. The key to navigating the pathway of your life is to receive God's guidance and advice, knowing that God sits high above the pathway of your life. And from that vantage point, He can literally see behind every bend before you even arrive there. Uh, He has foreseen every need, every crisis you will ever encounter, every crossroad of decision you will ever come to, and He's watching over you. But the good news is, God's not just watching over you, He's given you a personal guide. Uh, Jesus, before He returned to heaven, He promised His followers... He would not leave them as orphans. He promised to give them the gift of the Holy Spirit who would take up residence in their hearts. Now, the Holy Spirit is not 
an it. It is not a thing. It's not a ghost. It's not a mere power or force, something like that of Star Wars. Uh, The Holy Spirit is a person, the third person of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one, knowing such a unity and harmony that they're literally inseparable. And God has given us this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, we're celebrating the Lord's Supper. And how uh, many times when we've celebrated the Lord's Supper have I reminded you that what we're celebrating are those wonderful promises of the New Covenant. The New Covenant being the last will and testament of Jesus. And what He has, has bequeathed every one of His children is first pardon from sin. Amen? That he, they'll be remembered no more, past, present, and future. Purity of heart and life. He'll create in us a heart that hungers and thirsts after God. A heart that recognizes its dependence, its desperation for God. And it's determined to follow hard after Him. And He's able to do all of that because of the third promise. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We have now become the very sanctuary and the temple of God. Look at John 16, 13. That next verse in your sermon notes. But when He... The Spirit of truth, referring to the Holy Spirit, comes, notice, He will guide you into all the truth. And this is why we read in Galatians chapter 5, those two verses, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, it is inevitable that you and I will make wrong turns along the pathway of life. We're going to get lost. We're going to become overwhelmed by fear and the perplexities and adversities of life. So look at the first question in your notes. Well, how does the Holy Spirit guide me? Okay, He has taken up residence in my heart, but practically speaking, how does this person of the Holy Spirit Third person, the guy, how does he guide me? And there are two fundamental ways. And here's the first way. By reminding me of what God has already said. And of course, we're referring to what? The Scriptures, the Bible. The Holy Spirit guides me by reminding me of what God has already said. Look at John 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit... Whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said. Notice, the Holy Spirit is called the helper, which is parakletos in the Greek. And it means the one who comes along your side to give assistance, to provide guidance. And how does the Holy Spirit guide you? Circle the word remind. That word remind. He will remind you of everything I have said. The primary way the Holy Spirit guides you is by reminding you of what God has said in His Word. Here are just a few examples. You're going along the pathway of life. And suddenly you are tempted. And a verse from the Bible pops in your mind providing you the warning you need to flee that temptation. Or say, after committing sin, or having a bad attitude, here comes a verse or a passage into your mind that deeply 
exposes that sin or that bad attitude, uh, convicts you to the point where you confess that sin and and you seek reconciliation with God or with others. Or you come to a crossroad in life. You're faced with a very difficult decision. And in your mind pops a verse that provides the guidance that you need just at that time. Or say you're depressed. And then here comes into your mind a verse or a passage that God uses to change your mood and to pick you up, to encourage you. Or say you're ministering to someone, trying to help someone who's in crisis. And you think, well, man, what am I supposed to say to this person? I mean, how can I encourage them? And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will bring into your mind either a verse or a passage or maybe an illustration from the Bible that you can use to encourage this individual. So the Holy Spirit guides you by reminding you of what God has already said in His Word. Now, a couple of practical points. This is why it is so important to be in God's Word. So important to study God's Word, to learn God's Word, so the Holy Spirit has, has the opportunity to remind you of it when you need it. Uh, the Word of God in Ephesians 6 is called what? The sword of the Spirit. And so as you study God's Word, as you learn God's Word, as you hide that in your heart, you're basically giving the Holy Spirit the weapon that He needs when you hit those times of uh, crisis or adversity where you need that direction. And, it's very obvious, when the Holy Spirit does remind you of God's Word, don't ignore His promptings. Because we have a choice at that point. We have a choice. Uh, I'll never forget Brother David, our former senior pastor. He would often say, he, he just sort of developed this in his ministry where he would ask believers who had fallen into sin prior to you falling into the sin giving into the temptation did God warn you and he said across the board they would always admit yes God attempted to warn me but I did not heed the warning I did not heed the promptings of the Holy Spirit Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Do not quench or do not stifle the Holy Spirit. How do you stifle or quench the Holy Spirit? When you refuse to do what He reminds you of from God's Word. So the primary way the Holy Spirit guides is simply reminding you of what God has already said in His Word. Look at the second way the Holy Spirit guides you, by planting desires... In my heart, He guides me, not, by only, but not just reminding me of what God has already said in His Word, but by planting in my heart desires. Look at Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, please notice, this verse is not saying God is going to fulfill every desire that you have. It says, if you are delighting in the Lord, if you're loving Him, following Him, surrendered to Him, He will plant in your heart the right desires. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He, God, He will give you the desires of your heart. He will be the one planting desires, dreams, passions that you can act on 
to fulfill His will for your life. And what is God's will for your life? You're it. In Ephesians 2.10 it says what? We are His workmanship. We are His masterpiece. God's will is to bring you into an intimate relationship with Christ so that through that relationship you might be conformed into the character and conduct of Christ. And that's what this sermon series has all been all about. That's what spiritual growth is. And the mistake we make is we put the cart before the horse. See, we, we want God to tell us who we should marry. Uh, what occupation should I enter? Uh, should I make this purchase or, or not make it? Should I make this move or not make this move? You know what God says? God says, you're really not ready for guidance in marriage until Jesus Christ is your first love. You know, you're really not ready for me to guide you into the occupation I have for your life until you're occupied with pleasing me. You're really not ready to get my guidance about whether or not this is a wise purchase until I am truly the treasured possession, the most treasured possession of your heart. And you know, you're really not ready for my guidance about whether or not you should make this move until you come to the place where you're willing to go wherever I lead you. But you say, no, no, wait a minute, Andy. Even if all those things were right, that still does not tell me who I should marry or the occupation I should, should enter or, or where I should live. And my point is this. When Christ is your first love, when you can honestly say your one ambition is to please Him, in other words, when you are delighting in Jesus, then simply follow the desires of your heart. Have the confidence that God, through the Holy Spirit, is working through your surrendered heart to plant His desires in your life. Now let me be a little more specific, a little, hopefully a little more helpful. Look in your notes at how to test a desire. In other words, when you find yourself with a desire, a passion, or a dream, how do I test those desires, those dreams, those passions, uh, to develop that confidence that, yes, this has been planted in my heart by the Holy Spirit, and God wants me to act on it? Uh, seven questions. First, am I, am I obeying the revealed will of God? That's the first thing you need to ask. Am I, right now, am I obeying the revealed will of God. Psalm 119.73, you made me, God, you created me, now give me the sense to follow your commands. See, many times we complain, God, why aren't you giving me the guidance I need? And God says, I'm just waiting for you to do what I've already told you to do in my word. It's just like a parent with a child. You know, the child says, you know, uh, I want to do this, or I want to go here, I want to go there. And the parent says, what did I tell you? I said, get your chores done first, and then we can talk about that. Then we can do those things. God is the same way. The second question, this desire, this passion that I find in my heart, does it agree with the Bible? Psalm 119, verse 59, I pondered the direction of my life, and I turned, there's that concept of repentance that we looked at the last three weeks, and I turn to follow your laws. Simply put, the Holy Spirit's guidance 
will never contradict God's Word. The Holy Spirit is never going to put a desire in your heart to ignore or violate a truth that God has placed in His Bible. Just, you know, we need to move into the Lord's Supper, but just one example that uh, where many Christians have fallen into error, the issue of marriage. God's Word could not be clearer that for a believer, they're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. They're not to intermarriage with an unbeliever. If you're a believer, you're not to marry an unbeliever. You're to marry a believer. So that marriage is united in Christ with the desire to discover His will and walk in that will and bear fruit for Him and bring glory to Him. So if I'm a believer and I find myself attractive to this individual that's an unbeliever and I have strong desires towards this person developing a relationship with them, you know, I really don't need to pray about that. I just need to obey God's Word because it couldn't be any clearer in, God, in God's Word. So does it agree with the Bible? The third question, will it, will it make me more like Jesus? If I act on this desire, if I step out and act on it, will the fruit, will the end result be to be made more like Jesus? Look at James chapter 3. Jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. But the wisdom from above is first pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. See, we're told in the Bible that the Holy Spirit's primary ministry in a believer's life is to glorify Jesus, which simply means to make us more like Jesus. Therefore, as we see here in James, the Holy Spirit will never plant desires in your heart that are going to fuel jealousy or selfishness or bitterness he only plants desires that will lead to purity to peace to humility before God and before others fourth question if I act on this desire will it be beneficial to others first Corinthians chapter 10 verse 24 let no man then set his own advantage as his objective but rather the good of his neighbor in other words, since the Holy Spirit's goal is to make you like Jesus, and Jesus' life is one of sacrifice and giving and serving others, it's very obvious that if the Holy Spirit has planted a desire in your heart, as you act on that desire in some way, it's not only going to be for your good, but it will benefit the lives of others. And so you need to ask that question. Here's a good one, number five. Does my church family confirm it? In other words, I'm not trying to say, you know, uh, that uh, the pastor is in a position to tell you what God's will is. That's, that's between you and God. But it is so important in this regard to seek the counsel of mature believers uh, before you stepped out, especially in a in a, in a significant decision. Look at Proverbs eleven fourteen. Where there is no guidance, the people fall. But how is that guidance given? But in abundance of what? Counselors. There is victory. And that's the beautiful thing about being part of a church family. There, there are believers here that are at different levels of maturity and growth. And so it's very important for a younger believer to seek out a more mature believer to have the opportunity to run things by, 
to get their counsel, their insight. Because we can learn uh, from one another's mistakes, amen, and not have to make the same mistakes and, uh, and uh, be directed uh, by them. Uh, look at the sixth question. Does it concern my responsibility? Simply put, if you're not responsible for something, why would God talk to you about it? <laughs> why wouldn't He go directly to the person who's responsible? Don't worry about finding out God's will for other people. Focus on finding out God's will for your life. There's a great example of this there in John 21, verses 21 and 22. Uh, Peter, uh, Jesus is dealing with Peter about what he has, what he has for Peter going forward. And, uh, and then Peter asked Jesus, notice, well, what about him, Lord? And he's pointing to the apostle John. Well, what, what about him? Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. In other words, he's saying, Peter, you don't have to worry about John. That's my responsibility. You just follow me and, uh, and be responsible for what I'm telling you to do. And then look at the seventh thing, very, very important. Do I sense God's peace? See, God is never the author of confusion or doubt. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, slow up. Just slow up. Put the brakes on and check it out. Satan, listen now, Satan will drive you compulsively. The Holy Spirit will draw you gently. In Colossians 3.15 we read, Let the peace of Christ guide all your decisions. Let the peace of Christ guide all your... And that word guide in the Greek text, it literally means umpire. In other words, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in all your decisions. Don't step out. Unless you have confidence, you have God's green light. Because whatever is not of faith is what? Sin. So don't step out when there's doubt and there's confusion. Now, very quickly, let's turn our attention to how do I receive God's guidance. And I'll just have to mention these three things. And I'll just trust you to look up the references and go further with them. But the first one, ask for God's guidance confidently. Let's be, we don't have to be complicated. God, God's Word says you have not because what? You ask not. So ask for God's guidance confidently. Matthew 7, great passage there. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. Then it talks about this loving Father that we have that's going to meet our needs. So we need to remember that when we are at that door and we're asking and we're seeking and knocking, on the other side of that door is a Heavenly Father who loves me. And He only has one thing in mind, and that is what is best for Andy Merritt and what is best for you. Second, seek God's guidance diligently. And I'll let you read Proverbs 2, verses 1 through 7. But it talks about how we're to get in God's Word. We're to seek the treasure that's there. We're to dig deep. Uh, we're to invest. Uh, and so we need to get in God's Word. Psalm 119, verse 19. I'm a pilgrim here on earth. How I need a map. And your commands are my chart and guide. Psalm 119, 105. Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So the Bible is your map. It's your chart. It's your guidebook. You know, in the Apollo space missions to the moon, uh, we're told that they were literally... Uh, on course less than 1% of the time. 
they constantly were needing mid-course directions from mission control. And can you imagine what would have happened if they would have waited and just checked in once a week to mission control? Well, for some of you, the only time you get any biblical input is on Sunday morning. And you wonder why you get off course so quickly? See, each of us needs to have a time every day where we check in with God's mission control to receive any needed course corrections uh, for our lives. And then look there at how to read the Bible. This is, I found this very helpful in my own life. It's uh, very simple, not complicated. Uh, I would suggest cutting this out, putting it uh, in the cover of your Bible, and begin practicing this to where it becomes a sort of second nature habit for you. But uh, just questions to ask as you're reading a, a passage. You just, you know, you can read a passage, a few verses, and you pause, and you ask, these, is there a sin to confess here? Is there a truth to believe? Is there a command to obey, a promise to claim, a prayer to, change, a, a prayer to pray, an attitude for me to change? an example to follow, an error to avoid, or is there something to thank God for, say His character or something that He's done for me. And then third, wait for God's guidance expectantly. This is that element of faith that is so important. This is James 1 verses 2 through 7, where it says, God is ready to give us what? Abundantly the wisdom that we need as we encounter life's trials. But James says, but let that man ask what? In faith, not doubting. So he wants us to come to God with the confidence that he loves me. And that because he loves me, he will give the guidance I need when I ask. So I trust uh, that little worksheet helps you out. I I trust you'll take that home and uh, uh, reflect more on it. And uh, now we want to make our transition into the Lord's Supper, and, uh, and it's very easy to do so. You know, we've, we've just been talking about this wonderful ministry of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit who's taken up uh, residence uh, in our hearts uh, to provide uh, the guidance we need, to provide the empowerment uh, that we need to do God's will. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, that is one of the primary promises of the New Covenant that God would take up residence in us. And so this is what I would encourage you to do as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today. First, we're to examine our lives, true, before taking the Lord's Supper, to make sure there's nothing between us and God or another person. So you need to ask, God, have I done anything to quench like we talked about, to stifle the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. You know, have, have I not been listening to your promptings, to your warnings? So, Lord, reveal to me. You know, I want, I'm coming now into, into your all-revealing light. And so, have I quenched you? Have I stifled? Second question, Lord, have I, have I grieved the Holy Spirit in any way? Have I done anything to displease, to dishonor you, that I need to acknowledge right now? 
And like we talked about last Sunday, as we acknowledge that, realizing sin is spiritual adultery, to return now to Jesus as my first love, to partake in that wonderful, glorious grace that we sung about all morning. Amen? That grace He freely offers to those who come to Him through faith in Jesus Christ. And then the third thing, you know, okay, Lord, if I've done anything to quench the Holy Spirit, if I've done anything to grieve the Holy Spirit, and then surrender your life. God, I want to walk by the Spirit. I want to surrender my life right now to follow my personal guide. And as I make this surrender, Lord, I'm going to trust you to remind me of God's Word as I need it. I'm going to trust you to plant godly desires in my, in my heart and teach me to discern the difference between godly desires and ungodly desires and to follow you. So that's what I recommend as we celebrate the Lord's Supper Day. If I've done anything to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit, and then that third thing move, Lord, I want to surrender now to you to walk by the Spirit, to follow the personal guide that you've given me. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to uh, your supper now, and we thank you as we come that Jesus is present, He's the host of this table, and that He says, come and eat, partake of my grace, partake of my mercy. And Lord, I don't think any one of us as believers will ever get over the truth that with you, there can always be a new beginning. That as we acknowledge our failures, as we acknowledge where we've quenched the Holy Spirit, where we've grieved the Holy Spirit, we have a loving Heavenly Father who forgives through the work of Christ, who bore the penalty of our sin that we might know forgiveness and new life. And thank you that you're willing to empower us uh, to walk by the Spirit. And, uh, and Lord, give us the grace to surrender to our personal guide and to become more tender and sensitive to His reminders, to His promptings, and to the desires He's planning in our hearts. So, Lord, we come to love you now. We come to honor you now. We come to celebrate our Savior Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection, and that because of all of that, Uh, we now are the very temple of the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll ask the uh, elders and the deacons to uh, go ahead and take their places. And uh, we'll begin serving the Lord's Supper. I think most of you uh, know the simplicity of it. We have deacons uh, stationed at each section of pews. They will uh, alert you when it's time for your particular pew to come out. And uh, you uh, come to the uh, men that are up here at the front. Each section of pews has a designated area. You just come to those men in front of you. And uh, they'll give you the bread and the uh, juice. And you just partake right there. And then you go back uh, to your seat. So uh, let's celebrate now. And let's ask, uh, again, those questions I suggested. Make those surrenders. And worship Him.
We're going to sing another song, but before we do, I ask Andy to pause. You don't have to raise your hand right now. But I get so concerned that we just sort of get in sort of almost autopilot, and so often we don't follow through. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you, between the time we start right now, you ask those questions to God that I ask you to ask? Did you actually pause in your heart in the presence of God and ask, Lord, is there anything I've done to quench the Holy Spirit in my life, to grieve the Holy Spirit? How many of you paused after doing that, confessing anything you needed to confess, and then renew your surrender to God? Lord, I want to surrender to my personal God. The point I simply make, that's what brings growth. It's acting on God's truth. It's not hearing it. Hearing is important, but then after you hear it, you've got to act on it. So in this next song, if you have not done that, just with the background of the music, just take the opportunity to do what I suggested, because it's only for your good. Again, remember, that father you're going to, he loves you, and he only wants your best. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he loves you with an eternal love that will never fail you. And uh, so you don't need to be afraid uh, to expose yourself before him, because he already knows, and to be honest, and that's the first step uh, to know his grace and His forgiveness as you humble yourself. So you do that in this next song as we continue to praise Him. Lord Jesus, we thank You that You died in humility, bearing the shame and penalty and guilt of our sin. But how we praise You that You rose in conquering power. And we thank you for your love and your grace that has conquered our hearts and made us captives to your love. And we do surrender to you. Lord, even as we do, we acknowledge our human frailty. Lord, we are so desperate for you for your grace, even for what we've talked about today, your personal guidance through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, give us grace, not to quench, not to grieve the Holy Spirit, but to walk by the Spirit, not to fulfill the lust of the flesh, uh, but to honor you. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. It's our tradition here at Edgewood, when we close a Lord's Supper, we give... Uh, the church family opportunity to minister to one another. So I would encourage no one to leave until we close the service, and that would be just in about four or five minutes. But we think this is a very important element of the Lord's Supper. And so this is a time, you know, we've been looking up at God, but now we're to look around at who's here and who can we offer a word of encouragement to, a word of appreciation uh, a brief prayer. You know, Louis uh, Thomasons are here who just recently lost their son. There, there, there are others I could point out uh, in the congregation that uh, have been through recent adversity. You know who they are. 
And, uh, but we all need encouragement, don't we? We all need a, a word of love. Uh, this will also serve as the invitation. I'll remain right here if someone has a, a decision of any nature they want to share with me. But right now, let me give the church family the freedom just to uh, move about, to offer that encouragement and appreciation to one another. You may want to just remain seated, just continue to worship God, continue to pray, uh, and then we'll close the service in about four or five minutes.